0: Welcome to Church on the Hill. We're so glad that you're all here. Today we've got a special treat. I've been trying to get her to do this for a long time. It's really where my heart has been for the church. Um, This is really, I believe, a root pathway to real healing. And I just want to encourage you just to open yourself up. She is very knowledgeable. You're going to get a lot of information. So everybody just kind of settle in and um, just let the Holy Spirit speak to you, because I believe that this message is where we are as a church. It's where we are as a nation, um, and we need to hear it. And church, don't start applying this to everyone else. Apply this to you. That's That's what God says to do, is to clean your cup. Don't worry about what the other cup is. It says we look at this speck in someone else's eye when we've got a plank in our own, So be looking and asking the Lord God, how is this speaking to me? So will you guys all please welcome my lovely wife, Dr. Elizabeth Ramsey. Amen. Thank you.
1: Amen. Amen. So before I begin, I just want to pray. So just go with me in prayer. So Father God, we just thank you for this morning, Lord God. I just thank you for the message that you have for us, Lord God. And I just thank you for hope, Lord God, that you would just pour out just release hope over this body, over this people, Lord God, that we would be a people full of hope. Lord God, restoration. I just thank you for restoration, Lord God, and healing. Thank you, Father. Now, Father God, just um, Holy Spirit, come and flow in me and through me. I love you, Lord. Just use me as you would in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So go with me <laughs> on a journey. Um, you know, I can't control this. Do I have a clicker? Yes, name's Liz. Liz, you're my clicker. Will you click for me? Um, okay, so thank you, Liz. Um, so let me just tell you, I'm going to give you a little bit of um, just kind of background knowledge on adverse childhood experiences, which we call ACEs. Um, also trauma that can occur through that. And then I'm also gonna weave that together with the restoration of the Lord. And so this is an area that I am um, deeply trained in. I could teach a college level courses on ACEs alone, just, just an entire semester course. Uh, trauma, I could do another course just on that. So for me to try to throw some information to you in 10 minutes, and wrap that up with the Lord, it's um, a little challenging. So just be patient with me and realize I'm going to give you kind of just some science and developmental um, information to begin with. So um, this is my plan. We're gonna cover ACEs, Adverse Childhood Experiences, Trauma, and the restoration of the Lord. So go ahead and click for me, please. So let's just begin to talk about how brains are built. And one of the ways when we talk about um, brains, how brains are built is we compare it to um, architecture, to building a building. And brains need to be built with a firm foundation. Now I'm talking about the infant brain. Okay, because when a baby is born, they have all these synapses in their brain that haven't really connected yet. And do you know that if the brain doesn't begin to make some connections, those synapses just get pruned away? So they lose them, literally. And what begins to happen in um, typical child development, is that you um, interact with your baby. I'm jumping ahead of myself. Let me pause just a minute and go back to this. Um, And let me make this point before I move into how to kind of develop that brain. It's easier to build a brain from the start on a firm foundation than to go back and fix it. And we're gonna talk about that. It can be done, but it's very difficult. So essentially, when we're talking about child development, we really want to get a baby in a very rich environment where there's human interaction, there's human love, there's caring going on to where that brain is built on a sturdy foundation. Because how many times have you ever had a foundation problem or known somebody who had a foundation problem with their home? And how difficult is it to fix it? We just had a little foundation issue. It wasn't a huge one, but we had to dig out. What do you think? Six feet, sixteen feet deep, eleven feet. Okay, I was a little stretched it a little. I'm like the fisherman who fished, but it cost a lot of money. Who, you know, it cost a lot of money. It would have been easier if it had been done right in the beginning. Okay, now flip over for me to the next slide because what I want to tell you about is that the way that we build healthy brains is through serve and return interactions. So typically think about a new baby and when you're holding a new baby, by the way, do you know that a baby sees best about eight to 10 inches away? So just by divine design when you're holding a new baby, they can focus on you the best in your arms. And do you know that your human face is more interesting than any toy you could offer a baby? Because you're three-dimensional, you have expressions, you talk, you, you're verbal, and they look at you. And have you ever done that monkey see, monkey do? If you stick out your tongue, a baby sticks out their tongue. If you smile, they smile. If you coo, they coo. And it's a serve and return interaction. Think about, I like to think about my girls on the volleyball court, back and forth, back and forth, or tennis, back and forth, back and forth. So it's like a dance, a reciprocal dance between babies and caregivers, between babies and their parents. And what begins to happen is that the, these brains, this, all these connections are being made. And this baby is building You know, this brain inside of this baby's head is being built for healthy interaction. Okay. Neural connections are reinforced. They grow stronger. Remember, if they're not used, they disappear. Okay. So, let's talk about that for just a minute. Can you click? Thank you. Okay. So, let's talk about stress um, in a baby's life. Now, I'm gonna get to a point where we're gonna talk about, like say for instance, if a baby's neglected, if a a child's neglected, but let's just kind of label some stress just for your information. So positive stress, and you can see here, what I want you to notice about this is the peak. It's a normal essential part of healthy development. When I think of positive stress, I think of like um, going to the doctor and having to get a vaccine. Well, it's no fun, but it happens. It's stressful for a moment, and then it goes away. Um, Tolerable stress. You can see here, high stress, and then we slowly trickled it back down. Um, Think about like a child getting injured. Maybe they have a bicycle wreck and break a bone. Um, Maybe lost a loved one. Um, And by the way, we have positive, tolerable and toxic stress in our lives as well. We don't just have to apply this to children. Um, Toxic stress is that strong, frequent, prolonged, it's long lasting, it can be chronic. Um, So an example of this would be like physical abuse, emotional abuse. I think the big key here is that it's prolonged and long lasting. Okay, go ahead and flip to my next slide, Liz. Okay, toxic stress derails healthy brain development. That's the thing that we know. Now, I could have sat here and told you this 20 years ago, 25 years ago, but we have a wonderful study that's been done that has made direct correlations. We also have the ability now to do brain imaging. And so we really see what's going on in the brain. Um, Where 25 years ago, that was something new that was just coming on the forefront. Okay, so positive stress. Now, what I want you to notice here is this precious, sweet little family cheering this sweet baby on. Do you see that? You can do it. I'm here for you. You're gonna go to your first day of kindergarten. I'm here for you. Um, Death in a family. Again, I want you to notice the child kind of having to come over that hurdle, but there's somebody there. Um, helping them, being supportive. Do you know that that's a protective factor? Parents, healthy parents, adults that care, those are protective factors in a child's life. Now I want you to notice the toxic stress. This is abuse, neglect, parental addiction, um, several other things, I'm gonna go into those in detail. But, rem- but look here how this child is kind of on his own. There's, there's not that person there. Um, I want to tell you right now, if you are in a child's life and you sense that something's going on, be that protective factor in their life. Because a protective factor, an adult, a caring adult does not just have to be a parent. It doesn't just have to be a family member. You can make a difference in a child's life. I also wanna tell you, and I'm going to um, start to weave in some things um, about God's word. Because I love that picture of meeting new people. You know, that child is maybe meeting new people and a little, a little um, shy, um, that positive stressor, but the family's there to cheer them on. You know, God loves the family. The family was God's idea. And do you know that Mary could have been a single mom? But God didn't want that. He didn't want it so much that he sent an angel to Joseph because he knew, he knew God loves family. He loves marriage. He loves mom and dad together, raising a baby. It's the perfect model, really. When he gave us that model, when he put Jesus in a family, and he didn't just put Jesus with Mary or Jesus with just Joseph. He put him with Joseph and Mary in a family. Now, don't feel guilty if you're sitting here, a single parent on your own, because I, I get it. I know it. I work with single parents every day, and I have the utmost respect for you. But I also want you to know that the family was God's idea. Okay, Flip over to my next slide, please. And let's just look at um, the ways that children get neglected. So this chart, for every little child you see, that represents 1,000 children. Does that make sense to you? The kind of olive green color is maltreatment. So this is children between the ages of two and five Um, there's 75,000 in the United States that are being maltreated. Now, I want to tell you something. I've worked with a lot of families over the years. And do you know that children are most at risk to be physically abused by their parents from birth to four years old? And that is a very sad fact. But do you know why that is? because we have unrealistic expectations. It's hard, it's hard to raise a two, a three-year-old, a four-year-old. They don't have control of their emotions all the time. They don't self-regulate to a point, but they have moments. Okay, postpartum depression. Does this make you want to reach out to moms who might've just had a baby? 130,000 um, children have mothers that experience postpartum depression. And you know why this is really important? First of all, postpartum depression, nobody picks to have that. But do you know that when you've got a mama who's like still face, you know, just depressed, Do you think the serve and return interaction is occurring? It's not. And can mama help it? No. Can baby help it? No. And then parental substance abuse, 136,000 children. Um, This was in 2009, that data, um, But think of it, you know, that still still face I just talked about, but a lot of times with parental addiction, you know, we see that parents have these moments where they just check out. They're passed out on a couch. You know, I can't tell you the amount of stories I've heard where children have gone and learned how to open up cans of food on their own. You know, a four-year-old learns how to operate a can opener because they're hungry and mom's passed out and nobody else is present in the home. So it's problematic. So what am I saying to you? Am I trying to depress you? <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm just trying to say that we're living in a society where these children are experiencing this, and guess what? These children, are they need us. Not to mention, they, they need intervention, but, but they're gonna grow up to be adults. And they've not had that serve and return interaction, can be problematic. Okay, let's keep going. This slide, and again, I'm sorry, sorry, I'm getting very sciencey. Um, this is a, an image, an uh, MRI. The the brain on the left is the healthy brain. Now this um, image, this is a healthy, typical developing three-year-old brain on the left. The brain on the right is a um, scan from a child who was in a Romanian orphanage. And we probably all remember the stories, the Romanian orphan children were, their just very basic needs were met. Um, if that, not serve in return interaction. Well, see if I can do this. Can I get this? Can you pass this up to me for just a minute? I, I, have, I have to do my five-hand model with the brain. <laughs> so I need my hands. Um, okay, can you hear me? Is that good? Yeah? Okay, so when I'm talking about the brain, I like to um, do this. So here's the brainstem, right? down here at the bottom. This is the amygdala, my little thumb becomes the amygdala, prefrontal cortex, not right? Thanks, okay, I won't use this for long, don't worry. So so anyways, um, uh, this is like reptile brain back here, brain stem, um, kind of like just sitting, breathing, being, you're using this part of your brain. Um, amygdala, I'm gonna talk about more in just a minute, but that's kind of like your, um, flight or fight response there. And then the prefrontal cortex, this beautiful front part of our brain. This is where we begin to self-regulate. We make decisions. Um, When somebody upsets us, we we put it where it needs to go. You know, I'm not gonna fly off the handle. I'm gonna walk in love and forgiveness. I'm not gonna slam this 10-year-old up against a locker. Um, you know, that's the prefrontal cortex area. Okay, so having said that, I want you to look at the healthy brain. The back is the brainstem, okay? Notice how it's all lit up. The more color you see, the better. But what I want you to notice is that prefrontal cortex, how lit up that is, and all those connections that are made. That means that that child is getting it. They're able, they're learning how to self-regulate. They're making decisions. They're functioning like we would like for them to be able to function. Now look at the abused brain and look at those circles. Do you see just those empty spots? That child literally is, didn't make those connections. And for a long time we thought, you can't go back and get that. In fact, it's very difficult to go back and get it, but I'm gonna talk about that more in just a minute. Um, I do wanna say this, and I can't, I can't not go here. Early intervention is key. And do you know every one of you can be that? Every single person sitting under my voice. If you feel like there is a child who is in danger, who needs help, um, you can intervene. And um, come talk to me. I can get you in touch with Tennessee Early Intervention Systems. Um, you know, we can make a referral. We can get a developmental interventionalist in there. We can start to put wraparound services around those families and get them the help that they need, not to mention just you loving them, praying for them, being someone consistent in their life makes a big difference. Um, okay, let's, yeah, because I've, I've really drove, drove that home, that stable home environments really do make a difference. Let's go to our next slide. Now, I've already been talking a little bit about the amygdala. The amygdala essentially um, is that small almond-shaped structure, um, and it kind of acts like an alarm clock for your brain, Um, and so when you confront a stressor, the amygdala interprets it, it evaluates it, and um, images and sounds, and and when it perceives danger, it signals the stress response in the body. So that fight or flight. And we all have that, right? We walk out here today and if if we saw a bear out here, we would respond. Um, The interesting thing is the um, hippocampus um, engages and assigns memory for that. So your brain is designed, if I were to walk outside and see a bear, and I respond, my brain assigns memory to that, and I remember it. This is the way we're built by God. And so the next time I see one, I know what to do, I know what works. Um, it also, the um, hypothalamus um, is also involved. Um, It acts as the control center for the body's stress response systems. It regulates the release of cortisol, which is the stress hormone, um, and other stress hormones. So your body just goes into action when when you're faced with a stressor. Well, what begins to happen is that, say, a child has lived in toxic stress repetitively over and over and over, they... Become it, it becomes very entrenched in their mind. They respond and imagine, no longer is it the bear that I stepped outside, but say it's dad or it's mom or it's just the way life is. And they wake up every day and have to survive So toxic stress, unless we we mitigate it, unless we begin to intervene and do something to help these children, it creates a problem. And let me tell you something, it can create a problem for the rest of these kids' lives. Um, Let me talk about ACEs. So put the next slide up. Okay, so these are the 10 ACEs. Um, You can see that they fall under categories. So let's just think about what this toxic stress might be or some of even the more tolerable stresses. So um, first of all, toxic stress, um, abuse, Um, It can be physical, emotional, or sexual. So those are three different ACEs, the three different types of abuse. Neglect would be physical neglect. So like literally, and if you've ever seen a child or been around somebody when, you know, they haven't had a bath in weeks, their hair hasn't been brushed, you know, just plain old neglect. Um, they haven't had meals, they've just been neglected. Physical neglect, um, emotional neglect. Their emotional needs aren't met. Um, just put in a room and shut the door. Uh, or, you know, parental de- addiction, emotional de- neglect. Um, household dysfunction. So, if there is someone in the home that has a mental illness, that's considered an ACE. Um, incarcerated relative, that would be considered an ACE. Um, and then mother treated violently. So when a child, and I think this is interesting that it's a child seeing a mother treated violently, um, it can be an ACE. And by the way, you guys, I'll never forget the child who came in one day this year. And this was his, this was his phrase to me. He walked in and he said, uh, Dr. Ramsey, I need to tell you something. And I said, yeah. And he said, I need to tell you in private. And we walked over to like a little corner and he said, my mother's boyfriend stripped her naked and beat her last night. And he saw that. And so I of course go into, are you safe? Is mom safe? I start making phone calls. And yes, it turns out he said he got arrested. He's in jail and he's never supposed to come back. And sure enough, when I finally got information after making seven phone calls on this child. Yes, there was a male arrested and in jail for assault. But, you know, you see that. It it, it, it makes an impression on a young child's mind. Um, where was I? Substance abuse. So, um, That would be under household dysfunction, and then divorce, divorce is an ace. Um, And you know, some children, I always say some children are like dandelions, and they will grow and thrive regardless, and some are like orchids. And I have seen children who have a very stable, loving parents who've divorced, and that's their one ace, and it's rocked their world. And by the way, this is years 18 and younger. So we we count these 18 and younger. Um, expanded ACEs, um, not on this chart, witnessing violence, living in an unsafe neighborhood, experiencing racism, living, um, in, oh, foster care, living in foster care and experiencing bullying. Um, that would be expanded ACEs. Okay. Flip it over. You guys, I'm about to bring you hope. So if you're feeling really down and out, (laughs) it's gonna get better, hang in there with me. Okay, so ACEs have long lasting effects. Now this was a study, the ACEs study came out, it was Kaiser Permanente um, Insurance Company. They um, looked at um, middle class, uh, predominantly white insured Americans. That's who the original study was done on. So that already tells you something right there. If you're middle class, in insurance, that ACE score we would think might be higher for the, I mean, be lower than somebody who may be low socioeconomic status. Okay, so let's look at this. So this is the number of ACEs and their chances of developing um, things like um, health issues, obesity, diabetes, depression, suicide, uh, suicide attempts, STDs, heart disease, cancer, stroke, COPD and broken bones, Um, behaviors. So our behavior category is like smoking, um, alcoholism, and drug use, and um, life potential. So graduation, you know, go to go to high school, graduate, go to college, graduate, Um, academic achievement, and lost time from work. And you can see with each ace their chances of having long-term effects increase. Now, you may be sitting here and thinking, I wonder what my ACE score is. Don't Google it right now, okay? It can be hard to find out. And I've sat with people who figured out their ACE score and they were like, rocked. So don't Google this right now. There are quizzes you can take online um, you probably are starting to total it up in your head though, as you're listening. Um, okay, let's flip the slide. Okay, this is just an overview of ACEs in Tennessee. I think this is kind of interesting where we are. What I want you to notice here is, oh, and my line didn't show up. If you look at, um, yeah, there it is. Um, of the people had at least one ACE. And you can see there 47.9% had zero. Let me say something. I've read a lot of literature on people answering the self questionnaire on ACEs. And do you know a lot of times people don't recognize an ACE as an ACE. So like for example, I've known people who say, well, yeah, I remember my parents um, pulling me out of bed, out of a uh, sound sleep and spanking me. But I, that was just normal. That was just what my parents did. And so they don't count it as physical abuse. And when you start really listening to how they were treated, I would count that as physical abuse. Um, but... You know, a lot of people just look at it and they go, hey, that was my norm. That's just what dad did. Or that's just what mom did. Or mom was drunk all the time. That's just what mom did. Um, so self-report, the self-report, so it's not, not always accurate. So it's an interesting thing. Okay, so let's, let's get happy, okay? Um, flip over to my next slide. Oh, okay, there's the rest of that. All right, so the magnitude of the solution. So notice, I love this piece because it covers areas where ACEs, 55.7% of anxiety can be correlated with ACEs. So this oil spill in the middle of this pie chart. And I want you to look at some of these things. Anxiety, hopelessness, 42.5%. People are feeling hopeless. Um, Life dissatisfaction, 67.2%. Do you see how correlated this is? Adverse childhood experiences and these societal issues. Okay? Now, if we were to take a paper towel and stick it in the middle of that chart and soak up some of that oil, so if we were able to meet children where they are and help families and make a difference, do some intervention, hopefully, we would target and improve Look at that, 32.9% of divorce and separation. We would improve those rates. So prevention is really key. But also what I wanna tell you, because I work in the line of prevention, I'm all about prevention, right? But what I wanna tell you is we've got something else too. Because when we're working with adults who've lived through this and their childhood is spent guess what? We know Jesus. And, and I, I want to quote that scripture, and I can't remember where it says, but it says, "'Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not His benefits.'" Who heals us of our diseases, who forgives us of our iniquities and heals us of our diseases. That's what God does. And so, guess what? We've got a message. And so, if you're sitting here and thinking, I had some crap in my childhood and I don't hardly know how to move forward, let me tell you something God does. And there's hope for you. And you know what else I think is when I see this and when I I realize the number of people, children who are living in an adverse childhood and experiencing adverse childhood experiences, we gotta be the hands and feet of Jesus. Okay, flip over, flip the next slide. So God's restoration. So let's just begin talking about hope. Okay, because one of the things, and I can't help but to come back to my, my um, roots in child development theory. Uh, Eric Erickson, he has a beautiful theory. It's lifespan. He um, begins with infancy and he goes all the way through death and dying. And he, um, it's called the psychosocial stages of development. And he identifies the first stage of development. He always identifies it as a crisis where babies birthed about 18 months old are trying to learn to trust. It's called trust versus mistrust. So when you lay me in my crib and I'm hungry and I cry, are you gonna respond? Every time mom and dad respond, it's, oh, I trust you. You fed me when I needed to be fed. You changed me when I needed to be changed. You loved me when I needed to be loved. You held me when I needed to be held. And do you know what Eric Erickson says? He says, each stage there's a virtue learned and that first virtue learned is hope. And do you know, I firmly believe that God has put it in our hearts and our minds to hope. And look at what his word says. It says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Have you ever felt hopeless? Have you ever looked at a situation and thought, I don't think this is gonna get better, and lost your hope? And do you know, thinking back to just child development, I don't know that that baby can move on and and meet all those other developmental goals and needs that they need to do if that's not met. If they haven't learned to trust so, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. It's life. And you know, God, we don't need to give up. And one thing that I wanna tell you, and this is a message, this is actually a phrase that we use when we're teaching about aces, is it's a fact, it's not fate, okay? So when you look back through all those diseases, you know, the health problems, the the mental problems, the addictions, the hopelessness, the anxiety, all those things that come, it's not your fate. So if you're sitting here and you think, I think I may have a high ACE score, it's not your fate to have those health issues. And God wants to restore your hope. Life's disappointments can leave us feeling hopeless if we don't allow God to use it for something better. I'm so glad I read my notes. Because you know what other scripture I wanna tell you is Romans eight twenty eight, and I wrote it down. And that's that scripture that says, God uses all things for good, for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. And I'm telling you, if you are a person who has experienced some aces, put yourself around some strong testimonies. Go listen to Joyce Meyer. Do you know that girl was sexually abused by her father her entire childhood and she has overcome. You go start sticking yourself around people who have overcome. And let me tell you something else. I don't like the word uh, victim. And do you know I'm a trained mediator? I I was trained um, under Rule 31 by Tennessee law to mediate uh, family situations. And one of the things that we, and I carry that domestic violence designation as well. And one of the words, the verbiage that's used is victims, 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 victims. Let me tell you something, you're a survivor. You're a survivor. And I won't even use the, that word. You're a survivor. You're not a victim. You're a survivor. And, and God has a great life for you and a great plan for you. And he uses all things for good. All things. Okay, flip to my next slide. How am I doing on time? Ooh, I need to get us out of here. Sorry. Okay, neuroplasticity. Neuroplasticity. Um, This is um, the ability of the brain to form and to recognize synaptic connections, especially in response to learning or experience or following injury. Um, Neuroplasticity, the ability to rebuild. Like for example, everybody knows here, we've been praying for my dad. He has a, a tumor in his brain that has affected his muscle coordination. He's gonna have to relearn how to use his body, neuroplasticity, when you can relearn something. Um, Used to, we didn't think people after like a traumatic brain injury, after insult to the brain that they could go back and and learn to reuse things, learn something new. We've learned that the brain, it's groundbreaking science about the brain and the body's capacity for healing and growth. This is by divine design. This is how God created our brain. So um, we do have the ability to learn healthy habits. Um, Flip over to the next slide. Uh, this is the brain's ability to change decreases over time. So I want you to notice the, what color would you call that? Orangey yellow, mustard yellow? Am I close? Huh? Okay, <clears throat> notice the age. This is a baby's brain starting at two, and their ability, um, the, the amount of effort that it requires, um, No, 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 I'm sorry, I'm reading this backwards. I want you to notice um, the blue line first, the brain's ability to change. So look at the brain at the age of two. That baby is so able to change. Um, They're able to learn new things. They soak up everything that's around them. And look at how um, it decreases and then somewhere in the middle of puberty and adolescence, you kind of, it kind of levels out almost. It's still downward trend, but not as much as what it has been. Um, you know, this is one of the reasons why if you're trying to acquire a new language, you know, a baby learns language so simply. Um, a teenager also can acquire a language. But after puberty, it becomes increasingly difficult. For you adults, can you imagine how difficult it would be if somebody just dumped you in a foreign country and you had to pick up a new language? I mean, you could do it, but it would be very, very difficult. Um, And then um, you can see, look at age 70, how difficult it is for um, the brain um, to change. Do you see that? This is still looking at the blue line. The mustard yellow line, that's the amount of effort it requires to change. So it really goes to show that we can do a lot more in the early years if we'll, if we'll spend our time there. I think that's really why one of the reasons um, some of the great evangelists will say, we need to reach people for Christ before they're adults. I mean, it's a critical time, you guys. Okay, Um, Flip over, I'm almost finished. Um, The new norm, shifting the conversation. um, A lot of times we see behaviors in people and we simply just say, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? Do you know, I never asked a child, why'd you do that? They shoved another kid up against a locker, threw water in their face, started a fight. What's wrong with you? It's a real normal question to ask. But you know what they say? I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. But what happened to you? What happened to you? And so I want you to start to think, and we have a beautiful thing in this church, it's called Freedom Prayer, where we will pray with you. And if you're seen, we'll get a team of a couple people to just sit and pray with you for a couple hours. And if you feel like I have a presenting issue, a reoccurring issue, I always get angry or I'm always afraid. I'm always thinking of the worst case scenario. You know, whatever your issue is, I bite people's head off. Whatever that is, I don't know, you tell me. But what's keeping you, what do you feel like is holding you back? And so you might want to consider that. We may want to unpack that. I have relationship issues. I have this certain struggle. I I can't forgive. Um, Flip over to the slide, the next slide. Um, The iceberg theory. Um, And I do want to say when you are working with individuals and children, when you're in a relationship with somebody and you're seeing a repeating pattern or you feel like for yourself you're seeing the same thing, kind of the same response over and over. A lot of times, that's just the tip of the iceberg. And so when we talk about trauma and ACEs, we, a lot of times you never see what's underneath. But remember with an iceberg, they're actually so large. But from the top, you just see this little bit of ice poking out, when in reality, you got a whole lot of problem going on underneath. So what lies beneath the behavior? I say this a lot because um, I work especially with behaviors, target behaviors, and try to help change those behaviors. And so this area is very interesting to me because I'm always kind of looking at the underneath, how to bring healing and restoration and help. Okay, flip my slide, please, and I'm almost there. Um, I do wanna tell you that I think a lot of times um, some of the things that hold us back is just plain old forgiveness. We just need to forgive. Do you, do you want me to, to stop? Because I feel like I've already gone over my allotted time. <laughs> I have, I think, four more slides. Um, I don't know when I would finish this, and I hate to leave people... Feeling hopeless. Okay. Okay. So let's pick it up next week with God's restoration and forgiveness so that I don't go too long. And what's exciting about next week, because now I'm afraid y'all aren't going to come back. (laughs) Because you may like seriously go, I don't want to sit in brain science talk. But let me tell you something. All my next slides are about the Word of God. So I do want to tell you that for sure. Okay.